plays Ozymandias in that movie. Because in the in the TV show, it's Jeremy Irons, and that has like completely. He, while I still don't like that show, he does a pretty good job as like old crazy Ozymandias, and that is so overshadowed that I can't even remember the dude in the movie. Yeah, I don't know his name either. I'm going to look it up right now because there's another thing I just remembered that I think was an actor choice that actually bothered me. Okay, anyway, you know, hey, guess what? <laughs> this is a weird way to start it, but you're listening to the Big Bang Theory. Oh, theory. did we start recording? Oh, a while ago. Oh, you didn't do the five seconds of silence thing. So I, I just should have, but we just started talking, and so I just we, we don't have the five seconds. We're breaking the rules, baby. That's fine. Just more proof that even when I don't know that we're recording... It is not, just in case you thought that was a bit for the show, you peel back the curtain, no, it's just always like this here in Kyle Nickland. This, this is just what we do. And, you know, also, theoretically, we watch the television series, uh, The Big Bang Theory, in between the things we're more interested in, which right now is currently looking up the actor who played Ozymandias in the Watchmen feature film, and his name is Matthew Good. And I don't know or care anything else what he was in Selfless. He's in Downton Abbey, he's in The Imitation Game, bunch of shit I don't give a shit about. And something that I I didn't know, it seems so weird the first time I watched it, and then I, I looked it up after, he has this very slight, kind of lispy, uh, not even like German accent, as much as like affectation. And then I remember like reading about his interpretation of the character and, like, reading in into this, like, Nazi eugenics element, and he's like, I'll play it up a little German, right? I was like, ah, guy. I, I mean, this. that's... Okay, that's fine. You can take issue... Like I said, it, nothing in that movie necessarily works, uh, except Malin Ackerman's costume, but that's because I'm a hey. mom, I'm just a dude. Hey. Uh, <laughs> that It's also problematic, and we don't, uh, you know, the way in which Zack Snyder fetishizes female characters is a whole thing. Separate and above from, the, you know, whether or not Alan Moore's general depiction of women is fundamentally misogynistic, which is another separate question. Um, but uh, He's an old wizard. He's from a different time. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Uh, well, we we don't have to get into that whole weird bummer rabbit Why? hole of a conversation. Why not? But Why? Do you well, want to talk about the episode that badly? Is that where no, you're no, at? No, no, I absolutely don't. I just, I have to get, go one nerd thing at a time. So all I'll say is, his name is, like, Adrian Veidt, and Veidt is, like, the most Nazi last name you could have. Uh, and, and by that, I mean that the guy, the actor that I'm pretty sure he's based on is a guy named Conrad Veidt, who was famous for just looking like a Nazi. And I think he even played a Nazi in a bunch of mo- American movies in the like forties. So I this get that. This makes me uncomfortable. Not... <laughs> I don't like this. I, 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 I genuinely believed up until now in the genuine purpose of Ozymandias' goals, and I've never once questioned them. No, no, I think that's fair. I think it's actually, if you want to, t- if you want to talk about crazy conspiracy... That's not conspiracy- true, by the way. That's not true. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying that, ca- er- ca- that character's choice, that actor's choice, kind of, uh, I get why he would come up with that. But my crazy theory is one of the... Is there's a weird, if I'm right, if Adrian Veidt, it deli- I mean, they could have just picked the German last name because he, I mean, Alan Moore is always playing around with Nazi imagery. The whole point of like his earliest work in Miracle Man is basically like, what if, 
you know, how do you separate, like, the idea of the superhero from, like, all of these weird German ideas about the Ubermensch that mm-hmm. inspired, like, the, like, he's doing that on purpose, not necessarily, not because he buys into the Ubermensch, but just because his whole thing is, like, see how close fascism or fascist fantasies are to mainstream American superhero comics? That's just, like, a whole big thing of his. Um and it's a fair point to point out. It's not like he's crazy for doing that. It's the same reason why in The Dark Knight Returns, uh, there's a sequence where Batman comes over a hill riding a horse, swinging a fucking lasso direct out of Birth of Nations. Because, you know, Frank Miller was like, yeah, you know, Batman, there's a, Batman's a little KKK, huh? Anyway. Anyway. My, my crazy theory. If I'm right that, uh, Adrian Veidt is named after Conrad Veidt, the actor from the 40s, then mm-hmm. that is either the, that is either a weird cosmic accident that's interesting or, you know, because it's Alan Moore and he's crazy and he, you know, it's like a weird LSD seventh dimensional wizard. That is the most secret deep cut in all of Watchmen because the other famous character who is famously based on Conrad Veidt. That's right. There's another comic book character who is based on the actor Conrad Veidt from the 1940s because Conrad Veidt was in a movie adaptation of a Victor Hugo novel called The Man Who Laughs about a man who has been viciously mutilated so that his face has been cut open in a permanent smile. And when Jerry Robinson was working with Bill Kane and Bill Kane was like, what about an evil clown? Jerry Robinson was like, what about an evil clown who kind of looks like that guy from that movie that just came out? Conrad Veidt. And that is the canonical actor source model for the Joker. So. If I didn't know better, I'd swear you just had a manic episode. <laughs> I had a. It's a all connected. This hyperfixation. I am. Yeah. I, this is the closest I ever get to turning into Charlie from, uh, from uh it's always sunny in philadelphia because i'm like they both wear purple the comedian says that that ozymandias has turned everything into a joke but he doesn't get the joke he's the joker i oh i just i i i'm not even gonna talk about it anymore because i'm i just i'm gonna be mad about the movie it's not fair something's wrong with my brain it's not even out of like reverence for the book which i do love but everything about it annoys me um I had an easier time getting through today's episode. How's that for a transition? Like, the, the the thing that made me most uncomfortable in terms of just quality and cringiness is I was actually a little put off by Sheldon's racism this time. <laughs> I mean, it's not often that he gets... I mean, he you know, pretty often has, like, racist misunderstandings, but there's just, like, a lot of jokes about... I, I don't, by the end, he's, like, talking about, oh, there could be a chihuahua in our food because we're at an Asian food restaurant. And I'm like, this sucks, man. I fucking... <laughs> Not cool. Uh, but aside from that, uh, I don't think there was anything else that I found actually offensive in today's episode. The Anything Can Happen Recurrence, just season seven, episode 21. And baby, we have uh, distinct A and B plots. Uh, I love it. Uh, the short summary from the fan wiki, however, reads on Anything Can Happen Thursday. The couples are split up into different groups after Amy and Bernadette lie about having dinner together without Penny. Howard and Roz watch a horror movie that Emily likes. Penny has dinner with Sheldon and takes him to a psychic. Um, and so, 
yeah, it's I I think the the B plot I enjoy a little more. I think it's more succinct and cute, which is Raj is going to have a date with Emily, uh, but Emily is a nasty freak who loves filthy grindhouse horror movies. We love Emily now, right? Like we're definitely team Emily. Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm ready to fuck Raj up. Like the second he slips, I'm like, sorry, bro, got you, girl. We're gonna go have House of a Thousand Corpses, and it's gonna turn into the apartment of a hundred hot moans. What are you gonna do, buddy? But um, yeah, unfortunately, as you know, is a recurring thing with Raj. He's very soft. He's very gentle. He doesn't like horror movies, and so he recruits Wallowitz to watch it with him, so he can be. Uh, he can have seen it, be a little desensitized, and not look like he is totally freaking out when he's on his date with Emily. And they attempt this, and it fails. He just can't handle it. It's too yucky. And you want to know what? I love horror movies. I love nasty shit. I'm a little bit on Raj's side with this one. That's the thing. is like, Emily, you know, hey, what? You're a nasty freak. That's cool. Still don't like that movie. What are you going to do? You know? I guess, hopefully, it's not something we'd have to break up over. Maybe it is. I'm kind of like that. But, um, Yeah. Nonetheless, uh, and we can get more into the details, uh, you know, he, he has a date with Emily. They, they're about to start watching it, and he comes clean. He's like, hey, not only am I uncomfortable with this, and I was kind of surprised he followed up, it makes me wonder what might be wrong with you. <laughs> and she is um, both incredibly cool about it and confirming there's something wrong with her <laughs> because she's kind of like, I don't know. I mean... I guess it just kind of turns me on. And Raj is like, oh boy, sex is happening. And I'm like, oh Raj, you are in for a roller coaster. <laughs> this is, hold on tight, buddy, because that's, I don't know, some someone who seems otherwise normal but getting super horny over nasty Rob Zombie movies. Is... Do, do you think he dug through her ditches and burned through her witches? They definitely slammed. Um, whether it was in the back of a Dragula, I don't know. Oh God! What if he went upstairs and her bed was like a, like, it was like a race car bed, but a Dragula <laughs> <laughs> with a life-sized Rob Zombie doll, just like that's in animatronic. <laughs> God, that song! Like, I don't hate that song, but it's a stupid song. The lines make no sense. I'm just imagining Emily like lying in the bed, welcomingly in lingerie, and be like, "Knuckle crack the bone, twenty-one to win, Raj." And he's like, "Okay, I don't know what the fuck, but all right." So, but anyway, a happy ending. He, she's, he, they're gonna have cool sex later, and they're gonna watch a fucked up movie, I guess. Um, a plot, little more complicated, but it's um. Sheldon, Leonard, and Penny are hanging out together, just the three of them, because everyone else is busy. Raj and Wallowitz are on their little mission. Uh, Amy is sick, and Bernadette is working late. Or are they? The the three uh, stragglers decide that they they don't know what to do, and so they're going to bring back Anything Can Happen Thursday, a thing I swore was made up for this episode and had to look up and confirmed it happened again in Season 2, the only other reference to Anything Can Happen Thursday. Do you remember that from five years ago, Kyle? I absolutely... I was in the same boat as you. I was like, I'm sure if they're referencing it, uh, it's a thing that has been referenced on the show before because they don't do that many callbacks, but boy, it must have been a while ago because I have no idea what they're talking about. Season 2, episode 20, the Hofstadter Isotope. That was an OG Anything Can Happen Thursday where uh, instead of going to the comic book shop 
two days in a row, that's when they went to a bar to pick out pick up hot chicks. So, and I yeah, I think the only other reference to this episode, I'm glad it's not just me and my brain. Which was problems. also, if I remember, the hot chicks that they almost picked up was that well. Actually, there would be no way for you to know, and I could be totally... I, I I'm think just I saying, remember what you're referring to. Is this the one where they, they turned out to be, like, that a sex workers escort something, or... Was no, that no, I was thinking... There was definitely an episode where they where Raj and Wallowitz almost... Well, I don't know how almost, but they meet a couple of very hot goth ladies in a bar or a nightclub. And I'm just saying that that if that... If the same writer of this episode wrote that episode, I know that guy's whole deal. Yeah, he loves he loves the free and House of and House of a Thousand Corpses and Goth Ladies. Sure. Yeah. Well, and now I'm trying to like go back as we're speaking to get to that part of the episode, but I do not see specifically that they are uh, goth women. Uh, what are you gonna do? They very that could very well be the episode, and this just might. I not mean, be I just it. the goth ladies are burned into my brain. That's all I remember. Yeah, well, it says something about you too, Kyle. And you know what? We don't even have to say what it says about me because I'm open about it. So anyway, um, they're they're off on this fucking adventure. The the the, the three nerds they're going to have their anything can happen Thursday, and what that manifests as is well, I, I don't want to skip over it. Sheldon really really wants to do a LARPing thing in Griffith Park, and I'm sad that they don't want to support him on that. I understand why they wouldn't want to. I'm not sure I would either. I just appreciate his earnest glee at wanting to go LARP. Yeah, it's also funny. It's just like the show was like, yeah, no, there's no comedic potential in that idea. That's stupid. So let's just blow past it and shoot him sitting in a fusion restaurant for God 20 damn minutes. It. I didn't think about what could have been because I've learned not to have hope. <laughs> but, oh, that would have been so much better. Oh. But, yeah, they, they don't do that. They don't do what would have obviously been more entertaining. And instead... Yeah, let's go find the nearest restaurant that calls out to us that we haven't been to. And they don't get far. Sheldon whines the whole time because he's like, oh, ho, ho, you know, today is anything can happen Thursday. Tomorrow will be it won't stop coming out Friday because of his his gentle little guts and his goddamn racism against Asians and their food. Um, And they, they don't get far before they're passing a bar and see inside. How could this be? This doesn't make any sense. Is that is that Bernadette and Amy together drinking wine? And so Sheldon starts rapping on the window as he does to get their attention and calls them out. And there's a little confrontation and a whole bunch of people, uh, you know, huff off. And that results in Penny and Sheldon going on to have their own little like side mission. Well, let's. I don't mean it's just so it because Penny and Sheldon have both been for their own reasons incredibly negative lately. So they want some time away from them. Yes, that is the excuse that comes up. Uh, well, not excuse, explanation. And is, Leonard agrees that they've been kind of a negative and annoying lately, so they leave him behind too. Yeah, they they both feel affronted because both yeah Bernadette and Amy, when when confronted, you know they own up to it and they're like, we just really needed some time away from that, and so they huff off. Leonard sticks and hangs around, and the rest of Penny and uh, Sheldon's adventure is yeah. Penny decides she wants to go to an Asian fusion restaurant. Uh, they later pay for dinner. I don't know whether Sheldon ever actually ate any of it because he just plays with it the whole time and complains about how, oh, there might be dog in it because I don't know why it bought, there's so much racist shit in this, you know, it's never like, I was going to say never, that's not true. It's usually not horrible, but this time, like, I don't know. Maybe was, it just feels a little more real would be my guess. It's normally the racism, but you can actually imagine some annoying person 
you know, that you might actually know making yeah. these kind of awful jokes and thinking they were being funny. It's just, it's silly of me to expect more from Sheldon, but I do, I do. It's so, yeah, it is, they fuck with their food and he won't touch it and they have their time and they leave and it's fine, it's fine. Um, but then their next mission is they end up going to a psychic. And Sheldon, I'm 100% on his side here. Like, I don't, I'm not sure if even just for fun, I could pretend to be into a psychic like, I do not think I could hold back my shittiness, and he doesn't. And so, you know, to the extent he's socially awkward and rude or whatever, this time I'm like, I get it, dude. But he leans in anyway. He goes along for the ride, because uh, Penny's making him, and <laughs> starts asking questions Penny does about, like, ooh, ooh, what should he do next? And it all it spirals down into the psychic saying, you're not going to get order and a path forward in your life until you commit to the relationship you're in. And once you do that, things will start falling into place. And Sheldon does look genuinely struck and spooked and, and storms out calling it malarkey, the M word. And Penny says, I've never heard him say the M word before, which is confusing because then how do you know it's so offensive, Penny? You ding dong. Um, yeah, hey, yeah, I'm criticizing that specific joke from 2014, or 20 whenever the fuck, take that, old dead writers, they're all dead now, they're like dogs in movies, I'm sure. Um, and then back at the bar, Sheldon, I'm not sure, Leonard, Amy, and, um, Bernadette are kind of talking about, you know, oh god, we got busted, why do we do this, how are we gonna make it up to them? Bernadette's solution is easy, because she's like, oh, you know, I just put on a Catholic schoolgirl uniform, and that kind of takes care of any concerns Wallowitz has. And um, I think funny uh, corresponding part to that is uh, he kind of pretends Wallowitz, when he's hanging out with Raj, gets the call about Bernadette apologizing. And he pretends to be a little huffy before, like, clapping his hands and saying, guess who's sleeping with a Catholic schoolgirl tonight? And I was like, Wallowitz, this is like the one time I support, you, I support your impish horniness. Um, and then I don't even honestly remember... If there's anything more that really happens with Leonard, but, you know, Amy tells Leonard that she's jealous of the the closeness that Penny and Sheldon seem to have. That they have a some sort of, you know, bond or innocence, not romantic, but just something that he, she wished she had that same connection. And, you know, Leonard's kind of like, yeah, well, you haven't known him as long, and that's just kind of how it works, but you'll get there. And I feel like things just kind of wrap up until our, our stinger which is Amy presents in front of uh, Sheldon's apartment in a big overcoat. She comes in. Sheldon's like, how are you? Because Sheldon also says, in spite of his lack of emotion, that he's very upset too. And so Amy makes it up to him by taking off the overcoat, revealing she is also in a Catholic school uniform. And predictably, uh, Sheldon is like, I don't understand where you're going with this. You know, you better have a copy of Gravity on Blu-ray under there. And that too, I was like, Amy you really should have known better. You know, if you want to dress up to be horny for yourself, I understand it. But this was never in a million years going to work on Sheldon. Not one bit. Um, God, I feel like I, I'm uncomfortable with how much I just talked about all of that. But let us get into details, I guess. Kyle, how do you feel? What bugs you or what do you love? If anything, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I had to yawn. Um... No, this episode sort of slid right off my smooth brain today. Maybe it's because I was tired, but it it didn't feel like a, but it definitely felt like a weightless episode. I agree that the Wallowitz Raj subplot is uh, cuter 
Um, I kind of like the idea of the friends meeting without the other friends thing, but of course, you know, doesn't really go anywhere, so... Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, maybe we're going to find out next time that Catholic school uniform thing, like, maybe not to push Sheldon over the edge, but Amy's like, there was no going back, you know, I when I put it on there was no way i wasn't going to be bent over his knee and getting spanked and so we just took this to its natural conclusion um i don't think that will happen i i don't know if they ever actually have sex or if they just go on forever with you know an expectation that they have a rope i was gonna say romantic that's not even true that they have an intensely platonic yet long-term close asexual relationship and there'll be an episode where they really feel out what that means yeah, I don't know. Um, I liked this episode. I don't like. I don't think it slid off my brain as easily as I think it will with you. Um, at the same time, you know, it's, I I think this was, I think this was an ideal episode of consumable sitcom television. Like again, aside from the racism that I keep bringing up, that is bothering me more than ever for some reason. That maybe you were accurate about. Uh, I liked the jokes here. Nothing really bothered me that much, except I just remembered there was one joke that I thought was distinctly like a really sore thumb of a shoehorn cultural reference, which is when they're walking into the psychic, uh, Penny and Sheldon are, uh, Sheldon says something like, you know, if I wanted this much nonsense in my life, I'd start following Leonard's Instagram. And I'm like, oh, what the fuck are you even talking about, man? Like, what? <laughs> Why, why would you, I mean, does Sheldon use Instagram? Does Sheldon care about Instagram? Why is Leonard on it? What kind of yeah. nonsense is on there? Who gives a shit about this? So, anyway, that was... Leonard's just following influencers left and right. I keep getting disappointed that um, my Instagram isn't hornier. I'm not trying actively to make it hornier, so that's my own fault. But, like, the ratio of kitten memes... And recipe ideas to just random, like, thick Instagram models is not working out. Which is frustrating because, on the other hand, I go to Facebook, which I want to be my wholesome check on my friend's site, and all the ads are like, Hey, did you know this celebrity can be put through an AI generator and have their tits increased? I'm like, Facebook... I worry you see into the parts of my heart I don't want to reveal to the world. I don't like this. That's weird. It, they're owned by the same people, too, so I right? don't know what's going on there. Yeah, I don't understand it either. It's just, ah, you know, it was all built up to this moment so I could speak these words into this microphone and the beast can have that much more of my information to use against me later. So congratulations, Instabook. Uh, what the fuck are we talking about? The TV show? I don't know. Do you remember is- when we were talking about Watchmen? That was fun. <laughs> That was fun. That's shouldn't have pivoted from that. We can talk about House of One Thousand Corpses, which oh. I I don't know if you remember this, but that was actually my recommendation of the week one week because I finally watched it and I still haven't seen The Devil's Rejects, which everyone says is actually the much better one. But, I would uh, agree. I like The Devil's Rejects. Yeah, I liked uh, I liked the house, uh, but um, also it's funny because there, of course it's a bloody like it's not not a bloody movie. But it's actually, it's funny because, well, there are two things. In relation to this episode, it's funny because they actually do clearly, I don't know how they got the rights or whatever, but they clearly are actually watching the movie because they're, like, describing real, like, actual bits of the movie as it goes on. 
Um, oh. which I don't know why that would surprise me, but norm, but like normally when people watch a horror movie, you just hear screaming coming from the TV and you watch them jumping up and down. But the fact that they picked like a particular horror movie and then they're like, did, did that guy just kill that girl's father and now he's wearing her face? It's like, yeah, I remember that part of that movie. That actually happened. I think you are being led around by the nose by movie magic here because during those same scenes, yes, they are describing, uh, you know, actual scenes from the movie, but like the sounds that were coming through the TV, like especially the first time around, I'm like, that sounds like some sort of like generic horror video game music. Yeah, no, I think... Well, I don't know, because he does like his sort of heavy metal soundtrack. But you're right, it doesn't actually be watching the movie. But just the fact that they even bothered to pick a real horror movie and describe a real, like, the actual plot is kind of interesting as opposed to just, you know, normally in these, they're like, do you want to watch, like, Slaughterface 7? Yeah. Uh, Well, I I assume uh, that they really, really wanted to make the point, because I think at the time... Uh, House of a Thousand Corpses would probably be the gnarliest horror movie any mainstream movie-watching person would even be aware of. And so they wanted you to know, they needed you to know, that Emily's a fucking freak. She's, yeah, that's fair. She is nasty. She is, And you know what? She presents so normal. It's It's got to come out somewhere, and you'd hope it's in the bedroom. It's not. She steals. It's That's her thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, she can't stop stealing, and she won't talk about it because she doesn't think it's a problem. But what are you going to uh, do? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's funny because, uh, you know, I don't have a high threshold for, like, spookiness in horror movies. And I was, it, you know, obviously, like, there's a lot of screwed up stuff that happens in that movie. But the way it's, I'm just saying, like, even compared to something, if, well, not even, but if you compare it to something like Saw, like, the level of visceral horror discomfort is, like, not nearly as high. Like, yes, horrible stuff is happening, but it's mostly, like... The way it's portrayed is not, like, particularly gross out. Why won't Rob Zombie's life quit fucking laughing like that? This is weird. I'm uncomfortable. Yeah, it's weird. (laughs) It's very weird, but it's almost, it's more strange and sort of, like, it's almost like an art film in that way, as opposed to, like, uh, you know, uh, a splatter or a gore fest movie, you know. More of the, more closer to the uh, original Texas Texas Chainsaw Massacre than to... uh, I don't know, Saw or Terrifier or something like that. Um, yeah, it's this is another one of those areas where, you know, who really can draw the line between all of horror and the one subgenre that is okay to hate, torture porn. But there is a line in there somewhere. <laughs> it's... I mean, all of the most horrible beats in that movie are emotional. Like, yeah, it's the it's the, it's like, you know, people's the sense of grief and loss. And also I think it helps that the main characters are, this was my main thought about thematic connections is if it's been a while since I've seen that movie, but if I remember correctly, the characters who eventually get lured into the house with the exception of the girl are, you know, a couple of, of basically like yuppies making a documentary who think they're smarter than everyone else. And we don't really care what happens to them. And then there are so many red flags that they blatantly ignore. And the reason they blatantly ignore them is because Rob Zombie's wife, Sherry Moon, is that her last name? Yes. Sherry Moon Zombie. It's just so freaking hot that they're like, you know, maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's worth meeting her, her brother slash dad, who seems to be some sort of, 
you know, meth-addicted, you know, cannibal, just to see what this girl has going on for a few more minutes. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that is, I think, something that will be true through the ages to people who watch this movie is, yeah, she is really hot. And I think you're like, you know, I may be murdered, I may be forced to take drugs, and I'm going to walk away with some sort of horrible trauma. I already am never going to forget this experience. But if I get to see, like, one of those titties... Oh man, I like, let's just see what happens, fella. I don't even care if he sees it first. You know, this isn't a competition. We just need to know more. Oh, oh, the incredible fish boy. That was a friend of mine. Well, yeah, <laughs> I guess that's one fewer person that's going to see one of these titties. What are you going to do? Uh, anything else about this episode, Kyle? I got nothing. Yeah, me neither. It's, we've, we've had enough. It was fine. I enjoyed it. We're moving on. Kyle... Now we start talking about things that we actually enjoy, as if we haven't also just been doing that through the entire episode. Would you like to go first, or shall I? Sure, I'll go first. Uh, I have a, I have a, a couple this week. Um, first off, uh, I'll, I'll say the one I'll, that I don't think you would want to jump in at at all first. So on Netflix right now is an adaptation of uh, Naoki Urasawa's Pluto. And actually, it is. this is good, because it does sort of... It's it's not the same as Watchmen thematically, but it is sort of if you you know if you're interested in that sort of deconstruction of a fantasy world towards told through sort of a dark literary thriller, it is sort of a similar vibe in that sense, and it is you know very good. So Naoki Urasawa is most famous here in the West for Monster, which is you know an objectively fantastic work of uh, manga anime. Uh, just literature in general, but uh, you know, my I always really liked when I got into him. I read basically everything he had out, and one of them was Pluto. And it's I I was super psyched when I heard that they were making it into a show. And the show is both really good and really accessible. It's only eight episodes because oh. the the series was one of his shorter series, and so each episode is like an hour long. But you know, it's like eight hours, and you're done. And so that's, that's pretty good. So it is a cartoon. It's an anime. Um, and what's even more, so the interesting, like I said, the Watchmeny element of it is it's an anime adaptation of an, of a manga arc from a different anime, just told in a very different, you know, style. So one of the oldest manga in, existence is Astro Boy, mm. aka Tetsuan Adam. And there's a famous arc in the manga uh Astro Boy in which a character, a robot named Pluto, is out to prove that he's the most powerful robot in the world, and so he goes around fighting and destroying all of the other world's most powerful robots, which leads him inevitably into a conversation with uh with um or a confrontation with Astro Boy, who is, if, sorry, if you don't know who Astro Boy is, he's basically, he's a superpowered robot boy. He's like a cross between Superman and Pinocchio. Uh, he's a superpowered robot boy, uh, you know, who lives in a world where, you know, robots are commonplace. And so, you know, uh, it's, it's very Isaac Asimov hard sci-fi from the forties in that sense. And he, but you know, uh, with big, he has big, you know, 
Pinocchio eyes and he's like the classic anime model character mm-hmm. and he wears like little red booties and he flies around with rockets and he shoots machine guns out of his butt and so it was sort of a <laughs> it was sort of a silly it was you know it was intended to be a silly kids manga uh but of but of enduring popularity in Japan and that particular arc is considered one of the best arcs of the manga so Pluto takes the basic premise of that which is there's a future society well really an alternate world but an alternate world that also um you know that's more advanced than our own in that it has robots who have advanced you know to the basically the level of humans and in that world some much smaller subpopulation of robots are so incredibly advanced that they're basically weapons of mass destruction um and Someone is some mysterious uh, force is hunting down each of those robots and murdering them and leaving weird cryptic symbols at each of the murder sites. And uh, a minor character from the original Astro Boy comic is repurposed as the hero or main protagonist of this comic, a guy named Gesicht. And Gesicht is a German super robot who is also a super detective. And so he is like the Rorschach character going around in his trench coat, you know, solving solving the mysteries, getting to the bottom of this. Um, Spreading fascist literature. <laughs> no, he's a good... He, yeah, but yes, I get the... Yeah, he's... Um, He's and yes, Astro Boy is in it, just sort of updated modern as just like a he's just a robot who looks like a kid who is secretly super powerful. Um, but yeah, and uh, it's incredibly like dramatic and well paced and poignant, includes all these like really you know deep character beats and moments. And then what's even more interesting is, uh, and obviously intentional is Pluto, uh, which is the name of the remake that I'm describing was created by Naoki Urasawa at some time, you know, during the middle of the of the Iraq war. And so the subtext of that just I mean it like it's not even subtle. It literally it's like this whole thing comes we don't know the exact connection, at least not at first, but this whole thing comes back to these robots were deployed in the Middle East to destroy a country. You know, they were basically used as weapons of imperialism. And oh, hey the, now, imperialism. And, we were trying to free Kuwait. No, it's and so it's really like without getting too dark and weird. Uh, it's really weird watching it now because they keep having flashbacks to like these robots like going through the Middle East, like wrecking buildings, and there are literally scenes that feel that you like. I said if you if you knew anything about the the current events at the time it came out, it was inescapable, but it still feels weirdly thematic today that it's coming out now. Cause there's like a scene where a guy's like, yeah, you blew up my house and killed my children. Cause you thought there were terrorists here. There are no terrorists here. They're just people. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't like it when media makes us think about things like that. I don't like when it withstands time and, it has themes that repeat throughout the ages. It's too unsettling. <laughs> yeah. So in addition to being a very good, just like weird sci-fi thriller, you know, it's also a deep meditation on like the nature of war and imperialism and, you know, what is consciousness, of course, because if you're going to tell a robot story, you have to ask what makes humans humans versus robots robots. And it turns out the answer is hate. If a robot could hate enough, he could become human. 
which is such a great fucking answer. Uh, <laughs> so I highly recommend that to you personally, Nick, and also to our audience. And the other thing I recommend to you personally, Nick, uh, oh, and, wow. it, and to the audience, uh, if you want something a little lighter, is start playing the, the remaster of Super Mario RPG. What oh, a really? delight. So that's one where I I do absolutely love the Super Nintendo game, but I'm like, I'm not going to do it again. I'm not just going to immediately regurgitate my childhood and succumb to nostalgia. But are you saying it's worth it? Well, I am saying that I never... I did play the original. I rented it at Blockbuster for like a weekend, and uh, I tried playing it, but I... A, I had no frame of reference for, like, any other... I had never played a single Final Fantasy at the time, so I had no idea what the, like, the controls were, how that worked. And also, I had never played a, um, uh, like, an isometric 2.5D game before. So the whole thing, you know... Uh, He's trying not to get seasick from all the th- images popping out of the screen. Yeah, it is wild that they made a 3D Super Mario game in for the SNES and that like it's has crazy. obviously hasn't been forgotten about, but it's just like as a know. wee child it was hard to believe the Super Nintendo could make something that looked so good. <laughs> that's that's exactly right. And in many ways weirdly looks better, I think. Uh, I mean, I'm playing the super remastered like version, right? But I do if you go back and look at screenshots of the original, it looks better than a lot of the RPGs that came out for the N64. Because, uh, you know, they were deliberately keeping everything as, like, you know, low-res as possible. Yeah, it's a great little... Having played a bunch of Final Fantasies and stuff si- since then, it is, in fact, a pretty easy uh, and relaxing RPG with a just a fun and delightful script and sense of humor. So it still has some of those weird things that you find from RPGs of that era, which is, like... Eventually, as the, when you get nearer to the end, uh, I haven't beaten it yet, but I'm nearer to the end. And, you know, the the navigation, the figuring out, like, where to go next or how to get to the next, like, place on the map or, you know, how to, what order to go through these rooms to actually solve the puzzle to get through the dungeon, you know, sure. is a little bit unintuitive and maybe requires you to just look it up online. But even so, like, once you've looked it up online, it's not like it's a 17-step process. So it's not, like a very frustrating uh, experience. And what you get in exchange for playing is all the fun, wacky mini games and quirkiness in general, just like really unique vibe, even for a Super Mario game. Like it's weird oh, because yeah. it, it's a it freak. is so, yeah, it is so very much like a Super Mario game in the sense that it, it like it revolves around, you know, main characters are uh, Mario and Bowser and Peach all with their like iconic, you know, and expected like abilities and dynamics. But then you also have like this whole weird, like, m- you know, very square meta plot where it's like, no, no, the cosmos and the nature of reality and, you know, weird guardian spirits and stuff like that. And that all works too because it's, you know, it's not taking itself as seriously as any of the mainline Final Fantasy games. It's like, this boy's just a cloud. Yes, he's a cloud. He was raised by frogs. He thought he was a frog for a long he's time. A he's a frog, not. He's a... Kyle. He's a frog, and don't you say anything else about it. <laughs> here's a cute. Here's a cute puppet boy who is secretly an alien out to you know save the world. Uh, and yeah, it's just the writing is really fun and weird, and uh, so far at least none of the like com- the ca- combat encounters are kept fresh mostly because there's like a timing element 
to like maximizing your attacks, yeah. which is fun. Yeah, I'm. I you know I wouldn't want other games to just like rip off that same idea, but it's a little bit of a bummer that more turn-based games haven't tried to put something like that in there because you know it's completely optional. You only do additional like benefits or damage from it or whatever, but it makes it a lot more engaging. I really, really like it. <clears throat> yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing. I was like, it's weird that this is so simple and was obviously thought of so long ago, and yet so few... Ga- I mean, I know Final Fantasy VIII had a little bit of it. Well, with your and, gun blade. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's one Legend- character. <laughs> Legend of Dragoon had some of it too, but it is yes. weird that like none of the mainline RPGs that were trying to figure out some kind of compromise between... You know, how do we make this more dynamic, less turn-based, but also not totally incomprehensible for the... Didn't put more stuff like that in. I agree. Yeah. Well, damn it, I guess I have to do that now. Have this joyful experience. Not right away, but yeah. I mean, of course. Well, yeah, one... We both know you were going to cave eventually. Oh, it's on my wish list for sure. I will eventually cave. And knowing it's a Nintendo game, if I don't buy a physical copy secondhand, it's never going to go down in price, so I may as well just commit. Um, But yeah, I mean, I'm glad you're enjoying it, because that's one that was uh, a favorite as a child, uh, and I never really grew tired of it. I just, you know, I've played it too many times, but I'll absolutely do it again. Um, All right, my turn. And my thing isn't nearly as fun, but it's not miserable either. If anything, I'm disappointed by how like a mainstream thing it is that people have already talked about but i am going to recommend uh specifically season two of the bear on television hulu i think and i i want to only specifically recommend season two even though you do need to watch season one to get season two and that's because season one didn't really grab me that's why it kind of took me so long to watch season two i thought it was fine i thought it was a little too cute if i remember like one of the very first scenes like I think it's it's calm, you know, you're you're stressed out, like PTSD having Pug Rock can't get it together, Cook is confronting his his anxieties in the form of a literal bear that has been released from a cage, and I'm like, this show's stupid. Um but I finished it and it was fine. And I was, you know, bored, looking for something else to watch, started watching Bear Season Two, and I cannot believe how much I loved it. Uh like it's I it's hard for me to say, like it's just like higher quality writing or something like that. But it's it's the structure and the way that they focus on individual characters and really flesh them out and give each of them like not just like independent arcs, but also that they each get their own like most of the main characters get a feature episode where it is really about, you know, how they are growing as uh the whole first season is about like trying to this 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 guy Carm inherits his uh dead brother's sandwich shop uh, an Italian beef sandwich shop and he's just trying to keep it from completely falling uh to, to into shambles. Season 2 is okay, well now we're actually going to turn it into a fine dining restaurant and so it is about everyone kind of coping with that whether that's something they want, whether it's something they're ready for. And, like, one episode that stuck out to me in particular is they have a a dedicated dessert guy, Marcus, who, um, like, they're taking the the fine dining thing here very seriously. And so they send everyone off to different culinary schools. Uh, Marcus ends up studying with a guy in uh, Copenhagen. And I don't know. I I was really uh, struck by how much it was focused on him just, like, trying to, like, 
understand how to improve his craft and his dedication to it. And it wasn't tied into like some sort of bigger like, well, I got to do this to prove to the person I love. Or like, if I don't do this, so-and-so is going to think I'm a disappointment, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, I, I really appreciate how he just enjoys doing it. That is worth doing for its own sake and like learning how to take it more seriously and improve. Like, so it's, it's arcs like that. And it is also short. I think it's maybe 10 episodes. Um, all but one of them are a 30 minute uh, adventure, except for the Christmas special, which features Jamie Lee Curtis. And I no longer recognize her, but she's still incredible. I didn't learn after till it was Jamie Lee Curtis, but she does a bang up job as an intense mom. That's the nicest way to put it. She is an intense mom. Uh, also, uh, Carm, I can't remember the actual actor's names, uh, but his eyes are just so, so spectral, so spooky, spooky, greenish blue. Like, I, I sometimes wonder if they're real. I sometimes wonder, like, does he look like that in person? Is that possible? Can anyone's eyes look like that? Would they really go through all the effort to, like, CG his eyes in every scene just to make him a little bit more dreamy? That can't be right. Oh, God. It's like an icy pond that if I were to dive into would make me warmer. I just, ooh. So, um, Bear Season 2, I'm recommending. <laughs> we did it, I guess. We talked about things we like for nine-tenths of this episode. Well, that's not true, because you like to watch movie better than I did. I really hate it, but we still talked about it anyway, and it was fun. Yeah. Oh, up? and this is our this is our normal... I, I'm going to try to end every episode now with a plug. If you like our show, please donate money to Nick Hyde at Hyde Thoughts. Uh, oh, shit. And, and uh, yeah, thank and you for listening. And then I'll split it with Kyle. I won't steal that all, I promise. Um, no, he's uh, been embezzling for years. I keep uh, him afloat in his indigent lifestyle. He says he's a lawyer, but really, you know, he's uh, he he records from inside a mental institution. God, that'd be so much fucking harder. Oh God, damn it! All right, well, new idea for the show. I gotta go get committed <laughs> so we can have more credit on the podcast, more credibility. I mean, yeah, do what you like, donate or you know, if 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 this show makes. in the next six months I will go I will insist on being committed for the sake of the podcast let's try it baby